Welcome to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders. Produced by the Australian Men's Shed Association and hosted by John Paul Young. Yeah, there's something for you at the Men's Shed. Hello and welcome back to The Shed Wireless, a podcast for shedders made in Australia and distributed all over the world for the love of shedding. Well, the silly season is upon us, and so it brings us to the end of another year, and this is the final episode of The Shed Wireless Season 4. We've had some cracking guests this season. Centenarian shedder Bill Hallett from Pottsville and District Men's Shed shared his fascinating life story. What a story that was. I was inspired to get on the tools out in the garden by Mark Valencia from Self-Sufficient Me. And with my new hobby, I've actually been happy to see some rain around recently. My water tanks were getting empty. And I just loved chatting with Val Dempsey last episode, an incredible lady who was very deservingly awarded the 2022 Senior Australian of the Year. Merry Christmas, Val. Listen back to all those interviews and more wherever you get your podcasts. A great listen over summer. Now, before we get into today's episode, I want to send a special shout out to Grant Neal from Tamworth Community Men's Shed in New South Wales. Grant likes to drop us a comment on Podbean every now and then. Keep listening, Grant. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. I am too. I love a critic who's on my side. Speaking of enjoying the podcast, I'll be back for another ride around the block next year for season five of The Shed Wireless. The team have already got some great things in store. Make sure you get in touch. If there's anything or anyone you'd like to hear from, email me at theshedwireless at menshed.net. But let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Here's what we'll be talking about in this episode. My special guest is Aussie singer and songwriting legend Russell Morris. We talk rhythm, growing old and the great outdoors. He really is the real thing. Speaking of outdoors, I'm once again Roman with Roman. Butch has been on the road in the Northern Territory fishing or should I say avoiding sharks at Dundee Beach. Do you know the secret to perfect crackling? On the tools, we're in the kitchen. Marty caught up with Chef Adrian Richo Richardson for a few Christmas cooking tips, and boy, you're in for a treat. Did you know having mates is good for your heart? And I'm not just talking about the lovey-dovey stuff. In Ask the Doc, AMSA's Men's Health Project Officer Stuart Torrance and Professor Alan Jackson from the Australian Centre for Heart Health are talking matters of the heart. Stuart finds out social isolation and loneliness actually has an impact on your physical health. But of course, you might already know that. And our mate Rip Woodchip will sign us off for Christmas. So let's get into it. You're listening to The Shed Wireless with my good friend, John Paul Young. It's a podcast for shedders across Australia and around the world. Get ready to shed. Yeah, there's something for you at the men's shed. Well, Russell... Just like me, you've been around a long time. I guess so. Um, sometimes it, uh, it disappears into the ether and you just, you, it's, it's funny. You still feel like 20 years older than you try and run up a set of stairs. Yeah. In my mind, I'm still 25 years old. Mm. So what do you think about this getting old business? Well, my grandmother said something to me which came back to me, comes back to me all the time. I, I, she was about... 86 at the time, I said, talking about age and her life and what it was like when she was young and all the innovations she'd seen, like they had horse-drawn carriages when she was young. She said, well, Russell, when I was a young child till the time I turned 21, summers lasted forever. She said, everything was beautiful. My summer school holidays, everything, they lasted a long time. Life was really... She said, from... 25 to 35, still things went reasonably fast, but it still seemed like a long time. She said then from 35 to 50, she said, it just seemed to go so fast. And she said 50 to 80, that's it. And I feel that. Yeah. I feel that. Now, I, time to me seems to be quickening as you get older. It seems to be speeding mm. up. Rather than slowing down, you'd think because you're getting older and you're maybe sitting back and relaxing a little bit, but days go so fast. 
You get up and the day's gone. You think, what What did I do? I didn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do in your downtime? Uh, on my downtime, I'll either go fishing on my boat or I'll catch up with my friends up on the coast. We'll go out for lunch um, or I will go into my little studio and, and record. Bit of gardening around the house. That's about it, really. I... Um, um, if I could make a career out of being a couch potato watching television, I'd be, I'd be the highest paid person in the world because I, I love to sit on my ass and watch, <laughs> watch Netflix or watch the sport. I'm a mad sports nut. I'll watch sport all day. Any kind of sport. Well, not horse racing. Sorry, mate. That's about the only one I do watch. Yeah. So I, I, I find it that every race looks exactly the same. It's like, <laughs> which race is this? <clears throat> so no, that if you if you're in if you're involved financially, it's worth watching. If you've sure. got a couple of dollars on some horse, that, yeah. that's worth watching. But no, I wouldn't sit and watch horse racing or car racing. It must be something to do with things going around in a circle. Yeah. Or dog racing. I'm, I'm I just don't. Don't get that. No, I can watch golf because I can because it changes and you can see different swings and different uh-huh. players. And, um, boxing is probably about my favourite and football. Boxing, boxing, yeah. Now, where did that come from? No idea. I've always loved it. I always loved boxing. I and people say, "Oh, how brutal! You're a philistine." The thing is, I like really good boxing, and to me, sport played at its ultimate, whether it be basketball. Uh, boxing, football, the ultimate sportsman to me is an artist. Mm-hmm. The way they, or a dancer, the way what they do is like something I couldn't do. So I'm envious. Envious. Anyone that can step into a ring and fight, to me, it's like, wow, I couldn't do that. So if they asked you to do Dancing with the Stars, would you have a go? No, because I can't dance. Oh, that, 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 that's never an acceptable excuse for that show. You, they, they, they want to teach you how to get through it so yeah, would, no, would you would you acquiesce and say okay no, let's have a go no no i have an ex, ex, excusory letter mm-hmm. um when i did um jesus christ superstar paul, paul mercurio yep. we had that the whole cast would dance around and paul dragged two of us aside um stacy handchild who was a heavy rock singer and myself and said guys you're not getting the movements right you know we'll I, you know, just come and see me afterwards and we'll do some dancing steps. Afterwards, we went and met him and I said, Paul, you can't teach me to dance. It's just not going to happen. And he said, come on, everyone can learn to dance. And Stacy said, well, I'm sort of the same. He said, no, no. I think he spent an hour and a half with us. And then he looked at me and he said, you know what? You're right. <laughs> you can't dance. <laughs> it's, it's so humiliating. And uh, I said, okay, that's fine. If we both go to heaven, just be prepared. I might be the choir master. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I can't dance. I cannot. I've got no rhythm. But you must have some rhythm. You play guitar. You are a, a musician. Um, I know myself. You've got, to have, you've got to have rhythm to be able to sing. I don't know if I agree with that. Um when I first started playing guitar, I was in a thing called the Banjo Club, where they have all these people sitting around strumming guitars and singing, she'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Now, how simple is that? She'll be coming round the mountain when she comes. Uh-huh. And the head of the Banjo Club said, um, can, can you stay back after the class? So we stay back after the class. He said, everyone's telling me you're singing really, really well. Can you... Play me a song because we'd like you to go on TV for us and, and sing and represent. <laughs> they they didn't tell me, but they told my grandmother. And they said, "Well, listen, she, he's really got something there, but he just can't stay in time." And so we couldn't couldn't possibly put him on because he wouldn't be able to sing in time. And I couldn't stay in time. But you. You've recorded so many hit songs. What were you like in the studio? Were they tearing their hair out then about your rhythm? Some things, yeah. And I'll still do it today. I will still get the rush of blood and come in right on the wrong beat. And I put it down to the fact is... I remember in the band, I, um, 
I, I'm not really good with my ear hearing chord changes in songs. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and I remember saying to the band, I've got this great song we'll do. And I was just starting to learn guitar. And I played them the song, which was um, Promised Land by um, Chuck Berry. Yep. And um, they all sort of didn't want to laugh because they didn't want to upset me. And they said, yeah, that's great, but you know they're not the chords. Mm-hmm. I had completely the wrong chords. But it sounded right to me. And I'm singing the melody over it. So I found out, then then I thought after that, I thought, well, I'm not going to play anyone else's songs. I'm only going to write my own because then people can't laugh at me anymore. So if I know the chords that I've played and I've sung, and a lot of cases I would go into the studio and play the musicians the song. I said, this is what I want you to play. They said, can you play it again? And then they'll go, oh, hang on. Um, The first time you played it to us, it had a 3-4 bar. This time it's got a full, which one do you want? And me not wanting to feel like an idiot would go, oh, oh, the first time. Yeah. So they'd play it. And that's why Wings of an Eagle has got a three, four bar, a two, four bar in it. And there's two, four bars in lots of my songs because when I played it to people and they said, is that how you want it? I'd go, yeah, I'd drop two beats. And it's just one of my idiosyncrasies because I tend to... Listen to the melody more than so than the bedrock. Yeah, the beat. You know, well, that's I, yeah. We're very much alike in that way. Yeah, because I'm uh, I follow the melody all the time as well. So, wings of an eagle. Where? Tell me where that uh, expression comes from. I've been reading about a whole lot of the legends, Kuri legends, and also uh, red American Indian legends mm-hmm. about eagles in their culture. And I'm also I love history i'm a mad history buff and in the roman society when an emperor died an eagle would supposedly come and take his spirit to the land of the gods Mm -hmm. so it was a a, a, just a universal sort of theme and i was thinking about it and emi rang me up and said you've got to write another song you've got you haven't had a single for so long you've got to do something i said oh damn it i picked up my guitar and i walked out and sat on the porch I just started strumming. It was almost like automatic writing. People talk about this. This doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't, but I, I, yeah. I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. And I started strumming and I went, well, I'm looking out on an overcast sky in the morning. I can hear the warning as it calls to you. As the birds migrate and the wind is raised, I hear the eagle soaring, although I'm just a pawn in nature's game like you. Wahoo. Wahoo. That was it. I wrote that mm-hmm. nonstop. Did you know Wahoo was a fish? Uh, I did at uh, New Zealand fish, isn't it? <laughs> no, no, we catch them here. Well, Umau Uma, Uma Mamau is the uh, that comet that came and passed by. Did you notice that? No, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and anyway, I, I yeah. wrote wrote that much, and I thought, well, I'll I'll, I'll finish it. You know, and I couldn't finish it. I didn't know where to go after Wahoo. What do I do? Where? And I, I play the first again, get to Wahoo, and just dead stop, blank wall, yeah. blank page. And I thought, damn it. I thought, oh, go and watch the midday movie. Mm-hmm. That was the days when you had the TV week. Yep. So I opened up the TV week. Ah, oh, what day is it? Wednesday. What's the midday movie? And I go down, midday movie is Wings of the Eagles, John Wayne. Oh, my and Lord. I thought, I mentioned Eagle in the first verse. <gasps> so I went back out and I thought, on the Wings of the Eagles. And then I went, oh, wahoo, wah. On the wings, and it just came naturally. Wow. Yeah, it came through from there, and it was written in one day. Like it's fantastic. Yeah, it I've just, got to say, it's one of my favourites. I think so. It was an accidental writing, you know. It's automatic. Yeah. If you believe in things like um, quantum physics and that you're connected to things, it was almost like I connected. Yeah. And yeah, and every now and then that will happen. Then the others are just trying to push square pegs into round holes. Yeah. Now you are a nature lover. Yes, so you do love your nature. I, you just played me before the the sounds of a currawong. Yes, yeah, I, lo- I love love nature. I do. It's great. Yeah, and so, round my way, it's it's quite depressing where I live. It's a lot of open land, but there's a lot of development coming in, and uh-huh. you see the kangaroos standing beside the road sometimes, and there's little walkways, park walkways between the street to street, and you'll find them sitting in there sometimes. It's mm-hmm. like oh. All their, all, their, all their nature reserve is being slowly devoured. Yeah, It really indeed. worries me. So now, I do love it. How are you at uh, 
practical things? Uh, how are you around the house, for example? Can you fix things or? No. No. No, I, I'm pretty good at watching someone and learning. <laughs> if, if, if someone does something once yeah. and I watch them do it, I can, except for with the computer, because you, you hate that when you, your kids come around and you say, I can't work this, and they go, oh, it's just this, 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 do that. Indeed. Okay, and you think, oh, you have got it, and they go, and what did he do? <laughs> I have to, with a computer, I have to do it hands-on, but if a handyman comes around and does something, because that's quite practical to watch, I can see what he does, and then I go, okay, I've got that. I think I could do that if that... I needed to do that again. I could put that together. I'm assuming you're like most of us who are in the business. You can't see yourself ever stopping. Um, or am I wrong? No, if, if I could make a living out of sitting on the couch, I would probably do it. <laughs> if I could make a living out of just writing songs, I would probably do it. I'm not, I don't yearn to perform. Sometimes I don't really want to get up and sing. I enjoy it when I'm up there. I love it and I love doing it, but I'm not driven to do it. For instance, like if I go to a party and people have got a band and they're all up there, the last thing I want to do is get up and sing. I hate it. I totally agree. Yeah, I just yeah. don't want to do that. And it's not because I, I'm being rude or anything. It's just that I, I'm not driven to get up there and try and show off and go, hey, look at me. You know, I, I so, have got a big ego, but it's not in that respect. So did you get into the business a bit like myself, kind of by accident? Yeah, I was um, uh, doing accountancy and economics and my friends had a band and I would go along to all their uh, rehearsals and we'd have parties and everyone would sit around and sing Beatles songs together or Rolling Stone songs and mm -hmm. Ronnie Charles was the singer in that band who became the singer of the group. Yes. And he, he was, they were called Somebody's Image, and he yep. was the guy. And then he got the offer to join the group with Brian Cat. And this band never had a singer. And they came and said, would you join us? And I said, no, I want to finish my studies. I want to, yep. I'm, I want to finish my accountancy and, and economics. And they said, well, just join us for Christmas. And I said, oh, I don't know. And they said, listen, you'll meet a lot of girls. And I thought, now there's an incentive. <laughs> so... I said, okay, let's do it. And I started rehearsing with them and I started to really love it. And then school took on a second tier to me and I just, within a very short time, we had a hit record. And I thought, I'll do this till I'm about 25 when I'm far too old for the music business and I'll go back and finish off my diploma. It's almost a carbon copy of uh, what happened to me, except yeah, I had I no know. intention of going back to sheet metal. Yeah, work. I read that in your book, yeah. <laughs> but your, your boss said it would be a good idea if you left, didn't he? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I, re I remember very well. Yeah. That's a great, great read, by the way. No, 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 I'm not oh. blowing smoke up your ass. I really do. I really did enjoy that book. I've read a few of the musical biographies, and I haven't found them as amusing as you what i did love about yours now i'm interviewing you yeah i i believe tomorrow if everything fell apart for you and they said listen we'd like you to just come down the stables and look after the horses and maybe sort of brush them down time to time and do that. you'd be as happy as a pig in shit because you're happy doing everything you do yeah that's what i, kind I of am. that's what i got through your book yep. even when you were when you had all the hit records you went on the TV and became a TV face personality. Yeah. You loved that. Yeah. See, I wouldn't. I would have been pissed off. I would have been <laughs> I'm, a gr I'm a grumpy old prick. Oh, oh, yeah. But you, you seem... That's why I think Fortune has always smiled. You've had how many number ones in Germany now? Twice. Well, yeah, it's, it's yeah. happened quite a few South times. Africa. You know? Yeah, that's right. Never yeah. happened for me. No, well, but it is, you know, it's like you say, it's, you've got to be in the right place at the right time. There's a lot and, of luck involved. And you are always, I don't know if it's luck or if it's quantum physics that puts you in the right spot. Mmm, there's something to think about. It's true. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, Russell, I want to thank you very much for... Uh, acquiescing and giving me the time because we've been trying to do this for quite some time and it, the time's never been right but um the time was right today it was and it was yeah. a, it was a, a lovely chat indeed yeah and uh and thanks very much for on behalf of everybody on the shared wireless
Thanks, Shed people. Hello, I'm Sean McAuliffe here, and you're listening to The Shed Wireless with John Paul Young. But you already know that, don't you? I mean, obviously, you've, you've already got this set up on Spotify. You've, you don't need me to tell you this. Take it away, John. Here's yeah, something for you at the Midshed. On the road, on The Shed Wireless. Well, it's time to go on the road again. We've got Butch back on the on the blower. How you doing, mate? Good. Thanks very much for having me again, mate. Oh, not a problem. Not a problem. You you, you you've been uh, moving around far and wide lately. Um, you've been up in the Northern Territory. Yeah, it's um it's a trip I've always wanted to do because I haven't fished the Northern Territory much at all. And a group of us got together and thought, oh well, we'll go to this place called Dundee Beach. Was um. It entails hiring a car at Darwin and driving for about an hour and a half through a place called Humpty Doo. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a little. I've town. heard of. I certainly have heard of Humpty Doo. I mean, is that is that where um, uh, where Paul Hogan was from? You know, like uh, Mick Dundee. <laughs> I think they filmed. They filmed a bit of it there. <laughs> I think they filmed a bit of it there. But anyway, to get to to. Um, Dundee Beach, you've got to drive through Humpty Doo and then you come to the little little one pub town right on the water at Dundee Beach and the fishing there was supposed to be fantastic. A mate of mine that came with us, he was there 15 years earlier, caught heaps and heaps of fish, didn't have much trouble with sharks, brought a whole lot of fish fillets back home. He had a wonderful time. Unfortunately, this time, um, when we got down the ramp, uh, we'd hire a a drive-yourself boat he would launch it for us and then we'd go fishing. He'd come back and pull the boat out of the water for us. But when we got to the ramp, there were about five or six other charter boats with five or six other punters on board. And obviously the place has been given such a big name that the place has sort of been overfished in my my estimation. Anyway, the, the uh. upshot was we did catch fish, um, not as many as we'd like and not as big as we'd like. And the biggest bugbear of all was the amount of sharks. So uh, if you if you hooked a fish and didn't get it into the boat within about two or three minutes, you could bet a shark would come along and, and take it off your line. So uh, there wasn't mm. much fun. There was not wasn't much sport fishing. You had to he- use heavier line and skull drag the fish in, and which spoiled it a bit for me. But the sharks up there now mm. become a real real problem. So you'd have to spend say 10, 15 minutes at one spot catch a few fish, and as soon as the sharks show up, you then have to move on and find another spot, fish for 10, 15 minutes. Mm. And what, became... uh, what, what breed of shark was it? Okay, so up there, um, mainly up in the tropics, you, you, don't get the, you don't get the white pointers for a start. So you get whalers. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we used to call bronze bronze whalers, but they could be. There's a whole heap of different species of whalers. Um one, one of which is the bull shark, actually. So there's bull sharks up there as well as whalers. Uh, the biggest shark up there would be the big tiger sharks. We didn't see any. They oh. tend to stay down deep. But, uh, the, you know, I've, I've seen them up there to about 400 kilos easily up on the barrier reef. So they're there. Oh, so we're, talk- yeah, so we're talking real huge fish. Well, in generally, the, the ones we were encountering were probably about two, two to three metres long. So that's enough. Um, if if you if you hooked a fish, they would actually not just bite your fish in half; they would actually swallow it in one go, and therefore they would, um, you know, bite through your tackle. So not only did you lose the fish, but you had to re-rig all your gear again. And if you're using yeah. twenty-five dollar lures each time, for example, um, you know, it became a bit expensive and wasn't very pleasant. But we caught fish. The other thing, John, up there, unbelievably, every day was 35 to 36 degrees. And there was oh. no rain. There was no clouds. So it was pretty wearing. And all you wanted to do was get back to the house. We had a, a five-bedroom house that we rented and for five of us. So the accommodation was good and uh, the air conditioning was fantastic. <laughs> and that's all you want to do at the end of those, get back into the air conditioning. And um, I guess the best time to go up there would be in the middle of our winter and then you'd have uh, more more pleasant conditions. And then you're away from the um, the wet season and you're away from the uh, potential of, you know, cyclones and stuff like that. We got there just on the on the cusp where 
they were starting to think about stopping all all chartering because of the potential of uh, storms and wet season stuff and all that. What kind of fish did you actually get into the boat? Okay, so we got what's called a blue salmon. We got quite a few blue salmon. Oh, which, yes, uh, yes. like a threadfin salmon, but are nothing mm-hmm. like any of the salmon we catch anywhere else. Um, we also got some uh, mulloway. We were after black mulloway, which are fantastic fighting fish, and we're hoping to yes. get some in the you know, vicinity of 10, 20 kilos. But all we caught were little soapies, what we call soapies down here. So that wasn't exciting mm-hmm. either. Uh, but luckily we didn't lose any of those to sharks, so at least they didn't get eaten by sharks. Um, on one day we got onto some surface fishing, which I love to do, so we got some uh, uh, mackerel tuna. Uh, we got two or three different species of um, trevally, like um, uh, GTs, golden trevally, and uh, we managed to get four different species of, of mackerel up there, which Spanish mackerel, spotted mackerel, grey mackerel, school mackerel, that sort of thing. And that was all on the surface, which made it a lot of fun. But you still had to get them right. in pretty quickly because I had sharks chasing my fish up right up to the boat, or right up to the boat, although I was snapping at the hull trying to get at the fish I was landing. So, no barramundi no, at all? Tried, there's there's one, one river there called the Finnis, and we were told there were big barramundi in the mouth. Um, so we trolled in the in the mouth of the, the Finnis for about two hours, which we were told to do. I uh, didn't get a bite, but my mate caught this humongous catfish, the biggest catfish I've ever <laughs> seen. It would have been about 15 kilos. And it was one of those wow. fork-tailed catfish that you get up in the tropics, not those black ones we get here with the whiskers with the eel-tailed catfish. Um, yeah. Fork-tailed. And they take lures and they fight hard, but this thing fought for about half an hour. We thought, at first thought it might have been a big barramundi, but it didn't jump. So, anyway, it was something something that we you know, that day. You know, I was... I was reading once uh, when I was uh, I was going to get involved in aquaculture, and uh, yeah. catfish in America is uh, yeah. is the biggest one uh, that they use commercially. Um, and because, uh, uh, interestingly enough, every species of catfish in the world is edible. Yes, even though they may not look like they're edible, <laughs> <laughs> they, they well, are quite it's, edible. It's the old story, John. Remember, we used to be told that. Um, Catfish are good to eat, that eels are good to eat. But every time you ask someone, oh, have you eaten one, they'd always say no. (laughs) (laughs) They're supposed to be good eating, mate. They're good eating, mate. Oh, have you tried one? No. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got Christmas coming up. Um, Any any clues about uh, what people can uh, go out and grab out of those shops? Yeah, well, there'll be Christmas specials for sure. Places like BCF or Anaconda, they'll have Christmas specials. So what I'd, I'd say, if kids want to buy something for their dad that does a little bit of fishing but is not all that sure, go in there, talk to the guys. Uh, you might be able to buy a, a pack of, of various lures, for example. Uh, you might be able to buy uh, a, a rod and reel combination. They're called combos. So they're, they're good because then you've got, you've got your rod reel that's matched together and you've got the line already on the on the line on the reel and that makes for a good present so that works both ways that dad can get get the the lighter gear for the kids and the kids can buy heavier gear for dad so i reckon that's sort okay. of stuff and you get lure packs and all that okay all right well what have we got planned for next year is uh is there anything have you got any road trips coming up I have, and it's quite an exciting one, but it might be a little bit too much for me at the moment. But I've always been dying to get to the Kimberleys, John. So the only way to see the Kimberleys off Western Australia is actually in a boat. You sort of can't do a road trip and say you've been to the Kimberleys. It's almost impossible Mm -hmm. to get to any of the, you know, the spots because, A, they're on on dirt roads and, B, they're mainly on Aboriginal land anyway. Um, But the only way to see it is in a boat. So... I've been researching it a bit, and there's there's, uh, there's a couple of um, live-on-board charter boats that do the Kimberleys out of Broome, for example, or Derby, and you go yep. away for four or five, seven or eight days. You see the Kimberley, but their, their main concentration is on fishing as well. So not only are you fishing, but you're seeing the Kimberleys. You stop every now and then to get some mud crabs, all that sort of stuff. And um, mm-hmm. But it's live-aboard, but air conditioning and all that sort of stuff, so... 
I'm researching. I've, I've been determined to go to the Kimberleys one way or the other, and the other ones, that, uh, the upmarket ones, are very expensive and you don't get to do much fishing. My brother's been on one and he said it was fantastic, but just talking a couple of thousand dollars a day, whereas the fishing ones are a bit cheaper. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Mate. Okay. Well, I uh, I hope you actually do it because uh, that'll be a great chat to, uh, for for next year. Uh, but in the meantime, you have yourself a great Christmas and a and a lovely New Year, and uh, and all the best. And uh, we'll we'll see you and talk to you next year. Yeah. Thanks, John. Same to you and and yours, mate. All the best for Christmas. On the tools, on the shed wireless, with John Paul Young. We're going hammer and tongs in the kitchen for On The Tools today. Amsa's Marty Least was lucky enough to have five minutes with a chef you may just know from the box, Adrian Richo Richardson. Take it away, Marty. Okay, thanks, JPY. Today, we are working around two of the most important tools in the shed, the barbecue and the tongs. And I am here with a very special guest who's going to give us a few tips for the Christmas dinner, the Christmas roast. Um, he is the owner and head chef of La Luna, North Carlton. He's the host of Good Chef, Bad Chef on Channel 10. He's written a few books, including Secret Meat Business. He is the master of meat, the guru of the grill, Adrian Richardson. Richo, thanks for being here, mate. This is a treat for the boys. An absolute pleasure. And, and with a wind-up like that, that's a fantastic... Uh, I didn't know I've even done all those things. But it's a pleasure being here at the men's shed. It's um, I've wanted to come to one of these men's sheds and finally I'm here and I can find out all about what you guys do. And in uh, you know, I'll, I'll meet you halfway by sharing some of my things as well, my tips. There you go, mate. You might learn something here, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure. Be, be careful. Be careful. Well, mate, this is our Christmas special. So... I want to, you are the master of meat, so I want to ask you a few things for my Christmas roast. I like to, you know, feed the family on, on Christmas Day. What is your favourite meat to cook on Christmas Day? Um, I, the answer to that one's pretty easy. All of the meats. Anything with a pulse I'm happy to roast up or cook or braise, throw over the barbecue. Usually I make sure they're bloody dead first. But um, anything with a pulse. But you can't go past, you know, your favourites, ham, your pork. Some people like to do turkeys or the chuckens. Some people like to do the ducks, um, prawns, lobsters, fish, you name it. Anything goes in Australia. As long as it's cooked properly, as long as there's something refreshing to go with it and something uh, refreshing to keep the cook happy. Um, you're good to go. Absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Well, one of my I, go, I try to stay with the staples. I do the pork, the lamb, and the chicken, the turkey. I've, I've given the, the ham a go and things like that. But mate, one thing I struggle with, and it's a touch and go, it's a, it's a hit and miss thing with me, is the pork crackling. Mate, if you could give us the secret to a perfect pork crackling every time, mate, I'd, I'd die for it. Well, you better book your uh, hearse and you better book, book the funeral because I'm about to share that with you. Look, pork crackling is a really important thing. And one of the best ways to do it, I mean, uh, is go to your butcher. Go to your butcher um, a week or two beforehand and order the piece that you want, you know, and say, I'm going to pick it up next week on a Wednesday and I want it ready for you. Um, and one of the things when you get pork... Um, you know, whether it's a loin or leg or shoulder, when you get it, it's usually wrapped in plastic and that's what you've got to take off quickly. Take that plastic off it and leave the pork in the fridge uncovered for at least two or three days. And what you'll find is that soft, wet skin will dry out. You'll go from that, that sort of like a, the color of a manila folder to a darker tan sort of color. And that's telling you that it's drying out. And you'd be able to feel it as well. So that's really, really important. Now, hopefully your butcher's scored the skin, you know, by running a sharp knife over the top of it. And it doesn't matter if he cuts deep grooves in it or, or, or just scrapes it. A razor blade is also good to do that. Uh, some people use a Stanley knife, and I'm sure there's a few Stanley knives out here sure, in the, the men's shed. Sure, yeah. So making sure it's nicely scored is the first thing, and making sure the skin is dry. Those two things are really, really important. And then when you're ready to cook it, I turn the oven up to about 220 degrees Celsius. That's quite hot. 
Um, you want to make sure that oven is really hot. When you turn the oven on, you're going to give it about half an hour to heat up, as long as you can. Take the pork out and put it on the bench there. Let it come up to room temperature, all right? So we've got the pork coming up to room temperature. We've got the oven nice and hot. And you take the pork, pop it on a wire rack with a tray underneath it, and then rub it with olive oil. You want to rub it with plenty of olive oil over there or peanut oil or vegetable, whatever you've got, rub it with olive oil and then grab a handful of salt because salt loves meat and meat loves salt. And it's the salt that you put all over it and put more salt than you think. You want to make sure it's got like a, it's when you rub your hand over, it should feel like sandpaper, you know, it's got that much salt on it. So that salt and the, the oil helps to get the uh, the skin nice and hot and draw the, the, the moisture out of it. And the salt helps to do the same thing, draws the moisture out of it so that it crackles up. So the trick is to pop it into the oven at 220 degrees Celsius for about 20 to 25 minutes. And what you'll find then is that skin will blister up. That's where you get that crackling, that first initial 25 minutes of, uh, of cooking and you'll see it blister up. But once it's blistered up like that, you know, you turn the temperature down to 160 degrees Celsius and make sure you don't forget that. You know, turn the thing down because if you keep it up flat out, you're going to burn the outside of it. And we turn it down to cook it all the way through. We want to make sure the inside of that pork is now cooked, that we've got the crackling. And we turn it down to 160, 165 and let it cook nice and low and slow. And people say, how long should you do it? Well, how big is a piece of meat? How long is a piece of string? Um, how, how heavy is that piece of wood? The, the, the trick that I use is I use a digital thermometer. They're about 25 bucks um, from a food, uh, from any food store, or you can go to adrianrichardson.com. I'll charge you 150 bucks, but it's got my signature on the side of it. But <clears throat> A digital, yeah, yeah. Well, a digital thermometer gives you X-ray vision, and I know that when the center of that pork gets to 72 degrees Celsius, that's a magic number, 72. Yeah. I know the inside's cooked all the way through; it's not overcooked. It's still moist and juicy, and because I've had the oven nice and hot, I've got that crackling on the outside. And then the other part, once it's all finished, it's cooked, take it out of the oven and let it rest for half the cooking time. And that allows all the juices to stay in the meat. The best way I can describe that, when you cook it, uh, the muscle fibers tense up. So when you cut into it straight away, it squeezes out all the juices. So by resting it for half the cooking time, it's like when you shake up a can of Coke, you let it sit there for a while, then you can open it um, and it doesn't go everywhere. So rest it for half the cooking time and then cut into it and it will be the best bloody pork right. you've ever eaten. Hey, excuse me if I'm salivating here, but jeez. I'm not taking notes. Thank God we're recording this because I couldn't take all those notes, but that is thorough and I'm going to give that a go because, like I said, it's hit and miss with me. I can't... And it makes or breaks the pork, absolutely. If, if you don't have a good crackling, you're, you're, yeah, you're nothing. Mate, the other thing, number two. Now, Paul Kelly's given me a great recipe, but who makes the, best, who makes the gravy at your place and how do you make it? Well, you know, gravy or, or red wine jus, we call it, um, and we call it jus because it sounds more expensive, I can charge you more money for it. Um, but gravy is, is two different ones. There's, there's, there's a, the red wine jus that I make, whereas I, I get the, the bones and I roast the bones and then I simmer them away for eight hours and I strain off that liquid. Then I, you know, sweat off some more vegetables, some carrot, celery, onion and garlic, sweat that off. Then I add some port, then I add some red wine, reduce that down. Then I pour the stock over it and reduce that down till we get a nice thick, glaze that doesn't have any flour in it and it looks it's you know that beautiful syrupy sort of look on the plate it's delicious that's the way I do it in the restaurant but I also have a gaggle of chefs around me that, that can you know assist with that and we make large volumes of it um, if you're making it at home just say you've roasted a joint of beef on a tray all the all the fat and all the juices are in the bottom of it if you're doing it at home I would tip off some of that fat um, and then you can either put that oven tray onto your gas jet, if you can do that, or uh, induction jet or whatever, you, whatever you've got, or you can scrape it all off. You know, put some water in there, scrape it all off and put it into, into a pot. And then it's a matter of just adding a little bit of flour to it and stirring that around to the flowers all mixed together. You might use a whisk because it might be a little bit lumpy. Whisking it around, you can pop a little bit of port or red wine in there, yeah, uh, add a bit, yeah, add a little bit of flavor to it. And you might have some stock or you might have some stock powder or a little bit of water to it. And it's just a matter of adding the amount of liquid to you get the right sort of consistency, that thick pouring gravy. And then when you've got it to that sort of consistency, there's no lumps in it. You might need to strain it if you've got lumps, but if you can watch me do it, there won't be any lumps in it. But um, you might need to strain the lumps out of it, put it into a little pot, 
And if it's nice and hot, what I do is take it off the heat and I put a large knob of butter into it and then whisk it around. And that butter gives you flavor and it makes it so much better and rounds it off. And if you're worried about your cholesterol or anything, don't worry about that, you know, it's just, it's gonna be the delicious, it might be your last Christmas, but it's gonna be delicious. So mate, no grave ox, no tomato sauce. What's, what's the game there? <laughs> Well, no, you can use that stuff. I, I don't. I prefer to use the natural flavours from it. But look, if you if you like using a little bit of um, you know Gravox, Vegemite is another one. Yeah. And I tell you, another another tip is miso, uh, which is a soybean paste. You usually find um, it's like a soybean paste. It spreads like uh, like margarine, but it's um, it's a paste. That you, it's it's a Japanese paste, and there's medium dark and 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 you know medium light miso, medium miso, and dark miso. I use that as a stock base. You know, a good tablespoon of that in there gives you a real sort of meaty flavor. Whisk it in, it dissolves, and um, you get an amazing flavor. And no one will know, know what it is because everyone knows what Greybox tastes like. Yeah. Everyone knows what, what the stock powder tastes like. But miso has that flavor um, without uh, giving away that you've used another product. You know, Vegemite's another one, but be careful for that one. It's quite salty. Yeah. Wow, I never would have thought. Never would have thought. It's just been such a... A simple thing. I, I do use the grape, the the juices from the meat and things like that, which is great. But yeah, mate, some great tips there. Thank you very much. Be giving that a go. Yes. All right. As I like to say in my household, no meal is complete without something sweet. What is your staple dessert? What is what you know? What's your favourite? And I have to warn you, you'd be doing it pretty hard to try and beat my wife's trifle. It is a number one. Complete with M and M's, flake, yada yada, custard. Mm. But give it a go. What's your staple for a dessert? Look, look for me. I've I've always been an ice cream lover, and you know, when I was fourteen years old, I lied about my age to get a job in an ice cream uh, making uh, place. Um, I, I just love ice cream, so I'm, I've got ice cream machine at home. So I'll often make um, different ice creams and freeze them away. Um, but that's not to everyone's liking. I mean, not everyone has an ice cream machine. Tiramisu is a great one. That's like an Italian style trifle. Um, instead of using the Saviati biscuits, which are the cat's tongues biscuits, I use sponge um, and then mascarpone cheese, some make the Savion and, and lots of uh, masala, some rum. I use some uh, brandy in there as well. Soak it in there. The idea of the, the tiramisu, it's, um, it's designed to pick you up. So there's enough booze and coffee in there to pick you up again after you've had a big meal. I'm also a, a real lover of creme brulee. I've been making creme brulee to the same recipe at La Luna Bistro for 23 years. It's a vanilla creme brulee. We brulee the top of it. I tried taking it off the, mesh, the menu a couple of times. I had riot squads. I had helicopters coming over. There was just, it was just, I had to put it back on the menu. Um, it's just one of those classics that works every time. You know, nothing beats a, a flourless chocolate cake, which we make occasionally. And uh, my wife will make a... Um, a tart, she'll make a chocolate tart with uh, red wine poached pears in it as well. So, nice. so we do like to put on quite a display at yeah, Christmas we'll time with lots of different things. We'll pick probably two or three of those things, but you know, you've also got to have a cheese plate as well. I've got lots of different cheeses from Australia and overseas that I'll put out with some lavash. Way too much food for everyone, but you know, I'm a chef. If you're coming to my house for I'm Christmas, actually, I came up with a solution. I'm not cooking this year. I'll just bring my family to your place. Too easy. Too easy. How's that? That's probably the easiest way to do it. You know, everyone comes to my place because I overcook. I, I, I have. Way too much food. Um, yeah, that's 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 what Christmas is all about: being generous and having lots of food. But it's all about getting together. And you know, if there is a disaster, don't worry. Um, no one will notice. You know, push it aside, or you know, put some parsley over the top of it, or sprinkle some icing sugar over it. Yeah. No one will know about it. Absolutely. Well, mate, thank you so much. This is going to be good. This, this there's some great tips. I can't wait to give it a go. I'm going to try that gravy. I'm going to think I'm going to try and hit the missus up to make a tiramisu. I would love that. That would be sensational. Mate, well, thank you. So hopefully everyone out there has listened to that and taken some notes and um, they can cook themselves up a beautiful, or their family up a beautiful meal for this Christmas. And uh, if you want to catch Adrian, you can catch him on Channel 10. You can see him on the Brighter with, Brighter with Gas on Facebook page to see his uh, chef secret uh, little segments there that we actually did one down here at the men's shed today. So fantastic. And um, or oh, grab one of his books, Master of Meat, Guru. He's the guru of the grill. He's the master of meat. Adrian Richardson, thanks, mate. And Merry Christmas. Good on you, mate. Thanks so much. Thank you very much and have a safe Christmas. Well, if your taste buds aren't tingling right now, 
What's a hit at your place? I'd love to know if you have any special Christmas recipes. Send me an email to the Shed Wireless at menshed.net. Got a question? Ask the doc. Thanks, JPY. This is Stuart Torrance, Men's Health Project Officer for the Australian Men's Shed Association, coming today to talk to you about heart health and well-being. Today, we've invited Professor Alan Jackson. He's the director of the Australian Centre for Heart Health uh, down at Melbourne University. And uh, welcome here this morning, Alan. Thanks a lot, Stuart. Oh, my goodness, Alan. I'll tell you what, when it comes to things of the heart, you're the man I need to talk to. We're talking about heart failure, heart attacks, strokes, cardiac arrest, arrhythmias, angina. They're all heart problems. Absolutely, absolutely. What 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 is going on? Are we eating too much? And not exercising enough? Well, I think um, yeah, I, we know that um, a lot of people do have trouble uh, meeting guidelines for you know healthy diet, exercise, uh, and things like that. So, obviously, um, lifestyle factors, um, particularly exercise and diet, and it used to be smoking, but less so with smoking now because mm-hmm. there are fewer people smoking. But those um, modifiable lifestyle factors um, actually contribute probably 80, 90% of the risk of people having some sort of cardiac event. So I think it's really important that we recognize that, um, you know, there's a genetic element, uh, you know, genetic predisposition to some conditions. There's um, this familial uh, hypercholesteremia. So that's uh, high cholesterol levels that um, are genetically uh, determined. Now that's, that's, uh, that's got to be tackled with uh, screening and medication. But um, just, I guess the main point is that a lot of the risk factors are modifiable. But Mm. uh, what we're particularly interested in at the centre is, and what makes us different from uh, other people who are involved in, say, primary or secondary prevention, we're we're really a secondary prevention service. So Mm -hmm. what we're interested in is um, stopping the uh, repeat events that uh, people have. Once you have a heart attack or some sort of cardiac event, you're about six six to seven times more likely to have another one. Oh, wow. So uh, it's really important that we get in there and try and uh, uh, assist people to make the modifications they need to so they don't have that second one. Because the other thing is that if you have a second heart attack, you're twice as likely to die from it as from the first one. Alan, here's a question for you. How important is a network around you supporting you um, if you have one of these events? Yeah, really important. Um, and it's it's interesting because um, uh, years back when, you know, people were looking at the, um, the cardiac risk calculators, it was all things around cholesterol level and weight and, and uh, hmm. family history and things like that. Then we started to learn more about the, um, the impacts of mental health as a precursor of, um, of cardiac events. So, you know, particularly looking at depression and anxiety and post-traumatic stress. So people who have experience, who have a history of, um, of those mental health conditions are much more likely to experience a cardiac event. Uh, okay. It puts you at greater risk. And now we know that the risk, the risk is about equivalent to uh, smoking. Wow. Okay. Uh, which we know is a high risk activity. So, for a while there, they got called non-traditional risk factors. But now I think there's such an acceptance of the role of mental health in, in um, contributing to, um, to heart disease that they're no longer considered non-traditional. But what has been added into the equation and what is a, a newer um, so-called non-traditional risk factor is isolation and loneliness. Wow. Okay. So, so we 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 know that if we eat properly, yep, we lessen the effects. We if we exercise, we lessen the effects. Yep. Uh, uh, and um, the reasons for having these events, but now we're actually getting into the psychological side, and and that has an impact also, is what you're saying. Oh, very definitely. So I mean, we we I guess try to think of it in terms of psychosocial risk. So. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, obviously having a, a history of, uh, of mental health uh, issues or current mental health issues is going to contribute as a risk factor mm-hmm. uh, for people having uh, a cardiac condition. But like I say, social isolation and loneliness, so isolation is the, I guess, the fact of um, people not having many connections or, yeah. you know, any meaningful social connections. Loneliness, of course, is the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, the, that's how people experience um, being alone. And, of course, um, you can still feel lonely even though you have, um, you know, a number of social connections. So we're really now paying attention to the quality of those social connections. And, in fact, it's now recognised as so important in the management of chronic conditions that the um, National Health and Medical Research Council uh, just a, a couple of months ago or last month put out a call for mm-hmm. um, people to research the link between social isolation, loneliness and chronic illness management. Wow. Yeah. So just to, um, I suppose, put a silver lining on what mm. you just said. The guys in the shed are actually doing themselves a great service by getting down to the shed. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that what's really important too is, um, I mean, you know, you you guys talk about, um, you know, sharing side by side and and things like that. And I think that it's really important that, um, uh, you know, people who have that opportunity to, um, you know, to have that, that type of social connectedness really start to think about using it, um, and I know people do um, because I've had clients who um, who have attended men's sheds mm-hmm. and uh, and said that they've found the experience really valuable mm-hmm. in terms of uh, sharing their experience. I mean, uh, one one of my clients, I said to him, just next next time you go to your, to your men's shed, just see how many people have had a, a cardiac event. And and he came back to me and said, well. That was two thirds, but I think some of the third that didn't put up their hands have as well. So we're talking about, you know, potentially um, a really important arena for people to get the sort of connectedness and support that really goes a long way towards helping to manage um, any, any sort of cardiac condition. Okay. So, Alan, we know that having a a cardiac event of any sort, um, can have, uh, I suppose, detrimental effects on other areas of your life and maybe areas that you might not want to talk to to maybe uh, a maid in the men's shed. Is there someone else that you can talk to after you've had a cardiac event where you might be struggling with uh, uh, areas of your emotion, maybe erectile dysfunction, yep. maybe you know other challenging situations that come up because of what's happened is there other places that they can go to seek assistance? Uh, yes, absolutely. So um, cardiac rehabilitation should be offered to mm-hmm. everybody who's had a cardiac event and who gets discharged from hospital. But um, it seems that uh, only about one third of people who are eligible uh, for cardiac rehab actually make it into a program. Um, and sometimes I think that that's probably related to the fact that fewer people are having um, open heart surgeries. They're having um, uh, stents put in, you know, so, you know through uh, arterial um, uh, means. Uh, so, you know, not having to open up as many people as, uh, as used to happen. Mm-hmm. So th- a lot of those people don't get referred. So I think it's, you know, a message is if you've have a, had a cardiac event, do try and get into a cardiac rehabilitation program because we know we've done research looking at the effect of that and we've done a long-term mortality study and found that those people who attended cardiac rehab 15 years later were still experiencing a, a mortality benefit. So basically more of them were alive than the people who had cardiac events but didn't go to cardiac rehab. But the, the other thing is um, our clinic. So the Australian Centre for Heart Health has a um, cardiac wellbeing program and within that we have um, the cardiac counselling clinic and we've seen uh, oh, two, three hundred people uh, so far have gone through the clinic uh, and we did a, a review, uh, just a, a review of 50 of those people 
and showed that around 90% of them said that they felt their uh, particular mental health issue that they were dealing with in relation to their cardiac event had been resolved. But sometimes they're really complex. I mean, 60% of our clients have had some sort of previous mental health issue. And that's not that's not unusual, given what I've said about you know, mental health, depression, anxiety, PTSD being risk factors, then I would expect a lot of our clients to have a history of some sort of mental health. But um, we're the only um, psychocardiology program in the country, uh, and we reach people nationally. So um, through telehealth, uh, people can come to us uh, if you're on a, a concession card, you're bulk billed, otherwise it's a low cost uh, service. But um, I would urge anybody who wants to go through in more details, looking at those issues that you're dealing with, like the changes to your roles, changes to relationships, the way you relate to a partner if you have one, the way your family relates to you. Um, it might involve changes in your work. Um, and as you say, you know, some of the sort of health, uh, some of the behavioural issues that go along with it that are difficult to talk about. Um, and, you know, we know that, for example, um, cardiac events and the medications can affect things like, um, you know, sexual functioning. And, and that's a tough thing to, um, to have to recognise and, uh, and work through. So um, our, our um, trained uh, psychologists and, and, you know, they're, they're trained in, in cardiac uh, you know matters to be able to provide that specialist service to people. Um, that's their bread and butter. So, so Alan, just um, reading through your your website and the, yeah. the program that you allowed me to join. Thank you very much yeah. for that. Um, I, I note that the um, the Australian Centre for Heart Health actually has numerous programs: uh, Cardiac Blues, Back on Track Program, yeah. Telehealth, and this Cardiac Counselling Clinic. Yep. Uh, a lot of resources available. Um, so in, in that regard, so how do people get in touch with you guys? Look, I think the easiest thing is just jump on the website. So, you know, www.australianhearthealth.org.au. Um, right. Jump on the website and you can have a look at the program. So Back on Track, for example, is a self-directed online program. So that, Okay, that like lets, a do-it-yourself. Absolutely. So that lets you look at um, what are the things you might want to change, like mm-hmm. uh, diet, exercise, but also um, it's an introduction to some of the emotional and psychological issues that you might face, like cardiac blues. Um, and we expect, you know, probably almost everybody is going to have a period of adjustment. And we usually say that that lasts maybe six to eight weeks, that immediate adjustment. Um, issues and then if if it persists past that and it might be then turning into more a depression that you you want to have looked at in a bit more detail but so you've got that op- option you've got teleheart which is basically the the online self-managed program but it, but it's delivered by a um, somebody who's more like a, a, a coach so perhaps you know usually one of our provisional psychologists will do that so you usually have about four phone calls or so to help you work through some of those goals and then of course for people who needs that that extra who are really quite you know maybe struggling and and um and require some more in-depth counselling, then you can just refer yourself. Uh, on oh, the okay. So it's self-referral. You don't Absolutely. need a, a doctor's. So what what we'll then do is uh, we'll then contact you. Often we'll do an assessment interview. At that assessment interview, you'll then be advised to go and get a mental health treatment plan from your GP. Yep. And that allows us to provide um, bulk build sessions if you're eligible for those. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Yeah. So there are a, a lot of options to, to investigate, um, and, and obviously we uh, suggest that uh, people talk with their doctor uh, yep. should they have any uh, ongoing difficulties. But uh, this is a, a, a great start for anyone that's had a, a, a cardiac event. I think so. And, and you know, also not to uh, underemphasize the uh, the really positive role that uh, organization, you know, like your organization can play in, yeah. you know, like people getting getting that support, you know, feeling feeling a connectedness, which helps them get through this process. 
Alan, you've uh, answered a whole heap of questions for us today. Anyone uh, looking for more information, please go to the Australian Centre for Heart Health's website. Uh, check out the details. Uh, have a bit, do a bit of research. Ask questions. Um, throw me a, uh, an email, uh, and I'll give you contact details if you need to. Uh, but um, please, everybody, look after your heart health. It's not only diet. It's not only exercise. It's the emotional side of things. You're doing yourself a great service by going to the men's shed, ticking all the boxes. Alan, thank you very much for uh, being with us today. And I'll pass back to you, JPY. Uh, pleasure. Thanks for having me. For a great range of resources and tools to help you live well, head to the Spanner in the Works website. You can just search it up or go to mailhealth.org.au. Everything you hear on The Shed Wireless is created to inform and is not intended to be a substitute for personal advice from your doctor. Ask the Doc is brought to you by the Australian Men's Shed Association partner, CRC Industries Australia. Just like their products, CRC supports the high standards of maintenance and repair of your biggest mechanical asset, your body and mind. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it with Rick Woodchip. G'day, shitters. Rick Woodchip here. How y'all going today? I've just been untangling the bloody Christmas lights. Those things have been sent here to test me, I reckon. I'm sure it doesn't matter how careful or how neat I pack them up away each year. Every time I pull them out next year again, it's like a bloody bird's nest. Crikey, by the time I untangle them and put them up, it's just about time to pack them away again. Well, Christmas is in the air. Or did I leave the lid off the septic tank again? They don't call it a silly season for nothing. A celebration that starts around mid-August. Well, that's when the department stores start putting their Christmas decorations up. And pretty much ends when the washing up is done on the Christmas day. It all sends people a little bit loopy, but all in good spirit, I guess. Now, I'm no Grinch. Well, maybe just a little bit. But as I get older, the quicker Christmas seems to come around and disappear again. And we're left here scratching our heads wondering what all the hoo-ha was about. I mean, I get the sentiment of it all, but are we kind of losing sight of what it's all about? It's just all the present-giving and stuff that blows me away. It's weeks of pain and anguish for the missus, worrying about who to get what and how much to spend, and me walk around like a pack horse and stand in line for hours just to get it. All for it to be over in a matter of seconds with a pile of paper and cardboard and ribbon laying around where a lounge room used to be. And the drama of wrong sizes and wrong batteries and forgetting about someone, oh, does my head in. Nah, but if nothing else... Christmas is a good excuse for us all to get together with our nearest and dearest and act a fool for a few hours and reflect on a year gone by. Probably something we should do a little bit more often, but we're all just too bloody busy for our own good. What's that saying? Life is what happens to you while you're busy making other plans. I must admit, it's good to see all the kids get together in the one place, just like old times, taking the mickey out of each other and emptying me fridge. It's a real buzz seeing how they interact with each other now as opposed to how they used to. Not as many headlocks and Chinese burns mostly, as well as seeing their own little families grow as ours gets bigger too, with grandkids and whatnot. I just wish I could remember all their names. Yeah, we've got a nice little brood, me and the missus. You never could have picked it, and we couldn't have been proud of each and every one of them. And Christmas is the one day of the year where I am completely in charge of the cooking. By the trifle, of course, the missus makes a trifle that is unsurpassed. But I take great pride in me barbecue roast. I prepare them for days, polishing up the barbie, blending me secret sauces and marinating the meat. It's a true art and I am a regular Picasso at it. I cook for an army and I feed a small one with plenty of leftovers because you never know when those shops are going to open again, do you, Shedders? And one of the great pleasures in life is seeing Auntie Marg dripping gravy down her chin. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. All our kids live pretty close and we get to see them pretty often. But some people only get to see their family on Christmas Day, if that. So why not make a big shebang out of it? 
Yeah, Christmas ain't all that bad. I guess it can feel a bit painful in the lead-up and whatnot. But sometimes, if you aren't forced to stop and smell the roses once in a while, you might never get around to it. So my tip, just embrace it, Shedders. Well, I better go start unpacking the Easter decorations, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. All right, Shedders. Have a Merry Christmas. Take care. See you next year. The Australian Men's Shed Association acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout all of Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. I'm recording this podcast here in Awabakal land and pay our respects to Elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders listening today. Well, that's us for another season of The Shed Wireless. What a year we've had. I'm looking forward to doing it all again in 2023. Let's hope we have a COVID-free 23. Look after your mates this Christmas. It can be a lonely time for some of us. If you know that someone is spending this time alone, give them a call or pop in with some of your Christmas leftovers. Don't forget to share your favourite podcast with your shedding mates. Give them a hand to subscribe if you can or send them to www.menshed.org forward slash the shed wireless. Merry Christmas, shedders. Until next time, for the love of shedding. Whatever is your game, everyone's the same. Yeah, we can do it all at the men's shed. Short, fat, tall, skinny, hairy, bald. In the shed, it's welcome one and all. Share the skills you know, we're all having a go. There's a helping hand in the men's shed. Yeah, the sun.